Namaste everyone. Let us start this symposium by invoking the Divine Presence, who is the source of all knowledge. Welcome to all our participants and viewers to the 8th edition of Vaichariki. Vaichariki is an initiative taken up by Rashtram School of Public Leadership at Rishihud University as a part of the 150th birth anniversary of Sri Aurobindo. The purpose is to facilitate dialogues, discussions and exchange of thoughts with an aim toward intellectual enhancement and spiritual nourishment. As is beautifully explained in this sloka, Vidya Dadati Vinayam, Vinayati Yati Patratam, Patratvat Dharmam Tatasukham. That is, knowledge gives humility. From humility, one attains character. From character, one acquires wealth. From wealth, one acquires good deeds. And then follows happiness. The eighth edition of Vacharki is titled Religion, Conflict and Spirituality, Sri Aurobindo's Thoughts. Religious animosity, as we all know, is perhaps the most common form of conflict. Human societies have been fighting among themselves on religious grounds since, since time immemorial. All the landmarks in history, like the killing of the pagans by Roman Christians, the history of crusades, the rights between Protestants and Catholics, the animosity between uh, Islam and Judaism, animosity between Islam and Christianity, between Christianity and Judaism, between Hinduism and every other religion, the idea of Ghazwaihin, the rampant riots during India's partition, the genocide in Kashmir, all these incidents are all the examples of conflicts predicated upon the idea of religion. It is ironic that to note that uh, the word religion, which traces back its root from the Latin word religare, meaning to bind, is the cause of so much bloodshed, suffering and division. It is high time that we move forward from the idea of organized religion towards the realm of spirituality where mankind may find peace, prosperity, and brotherhood. Sri Aurobindo writes that the highest spirituality indeed moves in a free and wide air far above the lower stage of seeking, which is governed by religious form and dogma. It does not seem easily bear their, uh, it does not seem easily bear their limitations. And even when it admits, it transcends them. 
it lives in an experience which to the formal religious mind is unintelligible with this i would now like to welcome dr sampadanand mishra who is a professor at rashtram school of public leadership rishihud university a scholar of sanskrit and an ardent disciple of sri aurobindo and the mother to give the opening remarks welcome sir namaskar to all of you and uh, welcome to this eighth chapter of vicharity which is going to be focused on uh, religion conflict and uh, spirituality and uh, we all know today and today we experience that every religion is at risk every religion and it is not by bringing any reform in the religion that we will have uh, solutions to the conflicts arising because of the religiosity uh, it is by going deep into the very depth of spirituality that we can have a solution not by bringing any reform on religion ultimately every religion has to vanish there has to exist only one religion that should be the religion of humanity which is missing in every aspect of religion and in today's session we will discuss about the different conflicts the different issues related to religiosity and try to evaluate it in the light of sri aurobindo and we have really uh, a knowledgeable uh, experts today for the vicharity the eighth chapter of vicharity we have swami brahmadev ji from uh, oro valley ashram he is the founder of oro valley ashram in rishidwar so i welcome you sir for giving the keynote address we have prabhed malik ji we have amit gujral ji for the panel discussion to be moderated by lakshmi saripalli ji and i expect that we will have a very fruitful discussion and i request all the participants to attend it with all attention and then participate it uh, participate in it actively and uh, do ask your questions and share your thoughts at the end of uh, the keynote and the panel discussion once again a grand welcome to you all and looking forward to a very fruitful discussion today on this very important topic religion conflict and spirituality धन्यवाद thank you sir for giving the uh opening remarks now we will move on to the keynote address for this we have a speaker who himself is a personification of wisdom swami brahmadev ji is the founder of oro valley ashram which is an international center for inner ecology and spiritual studies situated at the foothills of himalayas in dehradun uttarakhand after having graduated from a law school and obtaining a degree in economics he traveled the himalayas in the quest of truth He has also traveled across the entire country and is well acquainted with the diversity of our nation. After having searched everywhere, he found his answers in the teachings of Sri Aurobindo and the Mother. I welcome you, sir, to please grace us with your pious thoughts on this issue. Namaste. Thank you for this opportunity. It's a pleasure to share some thoughts. 
actually i still not able to understand what is religion what is spirituality and what is all this mystery of life only i have some fire inside me burning to know and with that the journey of my life is still going on actually life is the most important subject and now little bit what i can say i able to understand that it is a process of divine manifestation everywhere in everything and we are also a part of it every seed has his own process of evolution journey and according to that things are happening and everything is moving i started with my ignorance with my confusion what to do with this life and how to live it and then a process started a search started and in that search so many experiences so many up downs so many kind of hard soft good bad things happened and through all that process always something is becoming clear always something becoming more and more bringing me more and more near to myself and uh, there was a time when i was knowing what to do with this life how to what to do what for i live and then a journey started in indian tradition in which family we grow born always from the childhood we are listening that if you have something like uh, inner this kind of feelings that uh, who am i why i am here what for this life and mostly this information they feed in us that go to the himalaya go to the caves and do tapasya and then god will come to you and ask you <laughs> what you want so that way a journey started i went to many many places like um, without knowing what to do so then you will go to the ashram then temples and all these things so all everywhere all those experiences of temples and uh, this uh, ashrams they gave something they gave some information but clarity not came the inner was not satisfied with that so many religious things so many rituals so many kind of uh, uh, very beautiful things but the inner satisfaction was not there with that but inner aspiration was very strong and then in those days i remember that 
a very like a super frustration, super miserable situation. Sometimes it looks like what for we are living better to finish this life and liberate, get rid from it. And with this kind of inner feelings and thoughts, one day I came in contact with one person and I asked him that, please, I have no place to live, what to do with this life, if you have any, if you can help me, if you can do something. So he said, okay, I'll take you one place and you can see if they, that they can help you or they can keep you there. So that was the mother and Shirovindo ashram in Haridwar. And uh, there I first time come in contact with mother's Shirovindo's picture and their literature, some words. And I don't know what happened with that. Immediately something, the whole, whole being start dancing with that, start feeling peace with that and start feeling that like you discover something, like you, you find what you was looking for. And from there, the inner journey started. A journey started, and in that journey, always, always, when I was reading Mother Shirvindo, and every time, more clarities, more clarities, more clarities, and inner start feeling peaceful, joyful, blissful. I don't know it is a religion or it is a spirituality, but I start, find that this is the meaning of my life, this is the purpose of the life, and now life is only for, for the divine. And actually, in the deep, in my heart, I was, start, I, I was feeling that I am in love, love. It is like a love awakens, love opens, and this love is for the mother, for Shrivindu. And with that love, things start happening. I went to Pondicherry. First time I come in contact with this uh, Auroville, the mother's dream of Auroville. That dream of Auroville make me mad that I start feeling that how this kind of thing should be somewhere in the Himalaya near Ganges. And then another journey started to make a place like Auroville in the Himalaya. And I don't know what was the what was this madness but slowly slowly this madness also become clear that this is not my madness this is something with some very clear visions and very clear inner feelings that this is mother's work mother's dream mother wants something and mother i always start feeling that mother is always with me She's always with, 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 with me and, and she's like, a, she's like a guiding you, showing you, asking you, speaking with you, everything like a, without no any doubt and no any duality in anything.
and with that aspiration to find a place and we started this Aruvali and Aruvali is a laboratory where life is preparing you preparing you for for work preparing you for manifestation and now for me religion and spirituality and everything is a mother she is my religion she is my spirituality she is my life so i never get confused myself i never confuse myself with this that i i am religious or i am a spiritual or i am naive i just i am a child of the mother and she is doing her work and how all the times be with the mother remember the mother offer everything all to the mother and in this process it is not a very easy like everything is happening very easily it is a real 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 mahabharata and when we use this word of mother shri shrivindo's integral yoga integral yoga is a real inner and outer mahabharata when you face so many situations because we have to live in this world of falsehood in this world where nothing is so simple and easy where everything for everything you have to you have to fight you have to work hard you have to face situations you have to meet all kind of things and in that moment one thing becomes clear that with the contact of the mother always in my intentions the only mother exists always in all the movements of life mother is there sitting and all the movements of life with mother start making everything possible and it is surprising that how just only with simple with that put the mother in your intentions and live with that that is integral yoga for me and that is my spirituality that is the secret of all the religions also spirituality also that keep the divine in you keep the divine in your intentions because life is a movement always movements and all the movements without all the movements they are carrying some intentions and if the divine is in those intentions if the mother is in those intentions then they know what they want to do with this life and that way slowly 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 things start happening the whole world start coming to our valley without any propaganda without any is just a mouth to mouth contact and life start taking me everywhere for mother's work and the thing is till now 
the Mahabharata is continued. There is no any end of this process. And this is the beauty of Integral Yoga, that it is a constant, unending process. There is no any full stop in it. Every day with the new, with something new is waiting for you to face. Hard, soft, good, bad, all. And that is the joy of this. And with that joy, mother's work, divine work, and now is going on and and the thing is that now the only thing which is important for me to always keep your intentions very 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 pure very very good because intentions carries your attitude and your attitude is creating all the possibilities and if we can check all the times our attitude and our intentions and we can feed consciously in our intentions and attitudes what really is clear in you then nothing is impossible one can make everything possible and that way Arvel is growing, my spirituality is growing, my life is, is uh, moving and living and, and, uh, and the one thing more, that uh, Integral Yoga gives us the meaning of life and Integral Yoga gives an opportunity for everyone, those who want to live this life. Because there is a saying that one in millions lives. And if one in millions lives, then what we are doing it? So many people, what they are doing it? So, Mother Shrivindo, they change the mode of our life. They put us in the living mode. They liberate us from the surviving mode. In surviving mode, life prepares, but it is a long way, long journey. But in living mode, one, when one is living, then everything starts unfolding automatically. In living mode, the process of manifestation becomes more fast. The life is a progressive, it is a progressive manifestation of the divine in matter, in us, in everything. So in living mode, this process, the speed of the process of our evolution change, becomes better. And that way, this is the grace, this is the blessing, this is the work which mother, mothers love, they do it. They put our life in the living mode. They liberate us from all kind of worries and hurries and all kind of uh, thinking of uh, what will happen to me and how I will live and how I will, what will do with me. So with living mode, they give us wisdom and freedom and in that freedom things happens. And 
once life starts living with wisdom, that is the, you can say, is the nature of spirituality. Spirituality grows with wisdom. Life can grow only with wisdom. And that wisdom comes when one is connected with oneself or when one is in the hands of some higher forces, those who connect you with yourself and liberate you from all that darkness, ignorance, whatever, and give you the wisdom. And with that wisdom, when one lives, one never feel lack of anything, one never miss anything, one never feel lonely, one never feel that one is alone. And that is spirituality for me. That is my religion, that is my spirituality, that is my everything. All is divine and all is for the divine. And slowly, slowly, this kind of clarity, this kind of vision starts growing and it is so easy to face the life, to meet the life, to face situations. And that is my little bit understanding about Shirvindo's mothers, about religion, about spirituality. So, for me, how to, all the times, remember the Mother, remember the Divine, and offer everything to them, and just live with emptiness, live without any planning and any kind of uh, ideas or any kind of thing, just always empty in front of them, and they are doing everything through this process, through this box and uh, now in our valley people are coming here from everywhere we not teach here anything we not even try to do here anything but things happens and this Aravali is a school of learning actually. And here learning is, one is learning, when one is here, we give them atmosphere, environment, and I tell them, you live with yourself and learn from your living. The real, real knowledge which comes, that comes from our own, when we start living with our own experiences and learn from living is the idea, is the, is the purpose of uh, Aravali. Come here, live here and life will unfold and give you all the knowledge of you and just exist with that, live with that. Now the thing is that in this process, automatically, 
the level of understanding, the level of consciousness, the level of knowledge, the level of awareness, they automatically slowly, 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 slowly becoming better. And that gives joy, that gives peace, that gives bliss. And that bliss is also for the, <laughs> for the mother, that everything is only for the happiness of the mother, for the so, and that way. I'm living, and that is little bit what I know about spirituality and life and me. I uh, told you, if anybody has any questions, we can speak about that. Thank you so much, Swamiji, for sharing your life journey with us and telling us how the teaching of Sri Aurobindo and the Mother transformed your life. You also told us and emphasized upon the fact that uh, religion, spirituality or any other thing is uh, a manifestation of the Mother for you and that you pro and, and in that you emphasized that one should offer everything to the Divine your all actions, all expectations, all result, and then uh, you, you will always have the power to go forward. Uh, you also said that uh, to keep the intention pure was the idea. But I would like to ask you one thing that uh, suppose I am doing all of this, but uh, the other person or the other community starts behaving in a way that your existence is all bogus and you need to be killed and in, in, in such a situation, what is the course that one can take uh, to save one's own self? And I'm talking this on a very physical plane, you know, like how to save myself in this physical realm in such a scenario. The first thing is that uh... One should have a patience, lots of patience. And not in a hurry, not with the impulse to just uh, react immediately. Control on your reactions. And with full patience and full faith in the divine in you. You know, in our tradition, we learned that always you see in our, all, all gods, they carry in both hands. In one hand, they carry the flowers, in the other hand, they carry the weapons. So according to the need of the time and situations, use. Don't be attached with the violence or non-violence. Whatever is needed according to that, get ready to face everything, face all the situations with that. So religion and spirituality is not the spirituality. Is not the, We learn from Lord Krishna that uh, you should be ready to face the life with... <coughs> Not to like, um, uh, not to become a punsak. That moment you see that Krishna said to the Arjuna, please don't become a punsak. Hmm? So, if anything which which is uh, you feel you think that is uh, is uh, against anything, one should be ready to face that to reply that. For me, violence, non-violence, both are equally important. So, because I told you, it is, I'm fighting here, I'm in Mahabharata from many years. 
ट्वेंटी फोर अवर्स इवन टिल नौ इन सैड महाभारत औट महाभारत वी आर् लिविंग इन असुराज बिगनिंग things are happening like that so <clears throat> but not to like a, not very much a, the thing is that few things makes us weak one is our ego and the other is our selfish greediness so whenever you are in the mahabharata liberate yourself from your ego not ego should fight and not neither your selfish motive behind is fighting you are fighting for the truth you are fighting for a good cause so that way everything is fair in that okay ji thank you so much swami ji and another question i would uh, like to ask moving forward that uh, uh it is a very good thing that you said but uh, do you also see a possibility that uh, these conflicts uh any possibility that they will end in our own lifetimes or maybe in a century or maybe in 150 years or so the, any possibility of these the divine design this game without any full stop this it is a journey towards in, infinity and everything is a part of the process of evolution because we have a very limited knowledge to understand many things we have very limited consciousness to understand many things we always want the things should happen the way we want but the divine is very intelligent nature is very intelligent they are doing their work perfectly so i think we are moving towards betterment and end is very good and end means that that we are moving towards according to evolution according to mother shivindo towards perfection towards betterment so let us hope for the best and the thing is the thing is that uh, yes when we see things outside which we not want and the, the other thing is that the negativity is so strong in us but the other side is we have positivity also inside us how we see with our positive eyes all the negativity outside when you start seeing with your full with your better consciousness with your positiveness outside to all the negativity then negativity will disappear so sometime it is our lack of understanding or lack of consciousness or lack of seeing the things which create something big things outside so the fault is always inside us fault is never outside fault is in my vision fault is in my understanding fault is in my seeing how i relating the things how i am seeing the things so there are 
big big powers in our positiveness the sunlight burns all the darkness in seconds so the positiveness in human being is also our spirituality is also something a big fire biggest big sun in and once this sun will more and more become <coughs> more automatically this darkness will disappear and uh, one more thing that uh, you said that uh, everything is moving towards uh, evolution and we are constantly evolving so uh, in your view do you see that we have evolved so far and that uh, conflicts though rampant and happening all across have uh, uh, decreased in their magnitude like they ha- used to happen before and like they are uh, happening now there is a significant decrease in the magnitude of such conflict i think things are becoming better we are moving toward betterment and because of the media now when we see the news and medias and all these things then we think that the things are growing more and more but the things from the very beginning are there was period when there were much more if you see the history there was much more conflict much more <coughs> bad period was there but if we compare this period is much more better life is becoming better the world is becoming spiritual world is purifying world is becoming much much better if we stop seeing media and news and all this thing one month don't see any media and don't look any news and everything everything will you will feel that everything is normal but now we do not know how to listen how to see the news how to react so then what happens even little bit news comes and break our balance and we start feeling thinking that oh it is horrible world is horrible things are happening horrible but the other thing is this is a period of transformation the new forces what mother shivendra described those forces they are very active it is same like when you clean your room sometimes we clean our room so so many dust comes out so many dust start you know with when you broom your room all the dust start crying start coming up so it is it is like that now many forces many active and they know that how things are transforming changing and those who are not want to change those they are they are they are making noise they are doing all kind of uh, things but but this all is for the betterment all is for the good this is a beauty of uh, uh, i think this is the golden period of on earth because now is a big hope that world is becoming better and there will be a paradise or a divine life on this earth and that message gave mother shrivindo and we should be we should with patience cooperate and collaborate with this thank you so much swami ji for uh, such positive note on uh, these uh, on the idea of these conflicts and we hope that things become better and better with time i would like to ask our participants if they have any questions they can come forward and this is neelima uh, namaste swami ji so nice to see you after so long i was reminded of uh, sitting in the satsang in oro valley and listening to you answer questions and your incredible ability to simplify all these big difficult scriptural knowledge 
and reminding us that when we are looking at the conflict in religion, to go to the Mahabharata and the Gita to say, you're here to fight the good fight, the Dharma Yudh. So my question to you is, can you give us an example of how you have had to fight a Dharma Yudh? Um, give us a, a real example, I would love to hear. I started with my madness, with my aspiration, with this that there one day, uh, with this that uh, there should be Aruville, Aru Valley in Himalaya. And you just imagine those days, I was not having even, uh, uh, even a place to live. I was asking to, one day I asked to the, to the divine, oh, uh, please, if you give me one potato, <laughs> That was the period when there was nothing was there to stay, even not to eat or anything. And but there was a fire which was taking everywhere. So in those process, in the, in that time, and this aspiration that to make a place like Yaruville, and now things start happening, and we got the place and everything and all these things, and. Now, I told you we are living in a system of uh, falsehood. In that system of falsehood, nobody understands your feelings, nobody understands your vision. Even the government, they have very limited visions. They have, they cannot understand that uh, we, uh, there should be somewhere like Yaruville. They are not able to understand what is mother's vision and all. So now, in that situation, when you have a big land for this okay land came so now land came land then you have to face situation with the land mafias government is also a mafia so all this with all those when you start facing them then in that mahabharata you know you feel very clearly that how the nature the mother is preparing you it is a preparation period before i was thinking that it is a big problem or it is a home big some, something but slowly slowly whenever any hard situation problem comes before i was having a different attitude or feelings to face them and now i feel that this is not a problem this is another opportunity god is giving to learn to grow something to and that way always till today facing situations facing problems some so so it, it is it is an endless process and i think now mahabharata is not a mahabharata it is a process of the evolution it is a process of our journey it is a process of manifestation it is a process of 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 our progress so mahabharata with what attitude you face Mahabharata with a fighting attitude, Mahabharata with a playful attitude. So, when we face the Mahabharata with a playful attitude, it becomes a game, it's a play. It's a lead. And when we face the Mahabharata with a fighting attitude, that it becomes a battle. So, in battle, the things are hard, but in the playful attitude, things are just a, it's a play. So I think in life, life is constantly a 
Mahabharata and Mahabharata should be always there because beauty of Mahabharata is the more Mahabharata, the more inner knowledge comes out. It is the Mahabharata give, which give birth to the Gita. If there is no Mahabharata, the Gita never came out. So when inner Mahabharata starts, the inner knowledge of life starts coming. And that clarity make you strong and give you courage, strength, everything, grow your faith, confidence, trust, and one able to face everything easily. Uh, Swamiji Pranam, uh, 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 you uh, very lucidly nicely mentioned about surviving mode and uh, living mode. And what I believe that we should try to, Allah may not reach that living mode, but we should try for that living mode. And there also you mentioned about we should learn for that living mode, which ultimately leads to wisdom and spirituality. So I have just, uh, I am curious to know what can the different uh, sources for those learning? The sources of learning is actually uh, your sincerity, your aspiration is a source. In living mode, the inner growth starts. In living mode, one is more living inward, moving inward. In surviving mode, we are always outside. In, living, in surviving mode, one is always progressing outward, outside. In surviving mode, you can become a very rich person, your name, fame, everything. You can have many, 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 many things. But in living mode, your inner grows. Your inner becomes vast. In living mode, the inner development, inner growth, that happens. And we have to live with the inner growth. And with that inner growth, when you comes out in the world, then outer problems, outer things, they looks very, very little, very, very small. Then nothing disturbs you and nothing breaks your balance. So, and the, how to change the mode for that, either it is divine grace, either you learn from the observations, either you learn from the, learn from your life experiences, and that way, one can change the mode of life. Okay, so thank you so much, Swamiji, for again, for giving us such wide words of wisdom and the important message that one should always remain playful and joyful in this uh, and unattached in this Mahabharata of life. So with this, I would like to move on to the panel discussion. And let me introduce to our audience and participants, our panelists who come from very different areas of expertise and experience. But the thing in common is that all of them are the disciples and devotees of Sri Aurobindo and the mother. We have Dr. Praveer Malikji, who has been developing a unified theory and mathematics of organization over the last three decades. He has written 18 books related to this to emphasize a whole system approaching integrating individual, organizational, economic, social, environmental, and evolutionary dimensions. In recent years, he has been intimately involved with computer modeling of complex organizational, economic, and world systems to help different stakeholders practically navigate and understand possible futures. We also have Sri Amit Gujralji, 
he is a graduate in marine engineering but uh, then he switched over to the fashion industry more than 3 decades ago he has been a seeker for a higher meaning of life and existence since very early childhood his search would always run into some same brick wall of exclusivity every school of thought would lay claim to the truth which would always beg the question that what kind of god or creator would reveal it to a very select few people and to the exclusion of the rest of his creation more than two decades back he stumbled upon the synthesis of yoga by sri aurobindo uh, and the lines all life is yoga and that yoga is practical psychology stuck him stuck an immediate chord with him which made him feel like homecoming his life has uh, never been the same since then and uh, uh, and since then he has been guided by these these lines uh, into the life of integral yoga uh, for, for moderating the event we have dr lakshmi saripalli ji and she is an alumni of indian institute of science bangalore and after having obtained her phd in 1989 from the department of physics she has had a long research career in astronomy with specialization in the study of activity associated with black holes located at the center of galaxies using telescopes across the world in 2020 she moved from an active scientific research at the raman research institute bangalore to pursuing her interests in indic knowledge and she enrolled into the year long course on sri aurobindo's life work and teaching being conducted by the rashtram school of public leadership at rishikhod university with this i would invite dr lakshmi saripalli ji to take forward this webinar welcome ma'am i'd like to begin by welcoming all of you to this uh, panel discussion we've just heard an amazing talk uh address by uh, uh, swami brahmadev ji and uh, it's 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 an amazing start and uh, just feel very fortunate thank you for that um yeah so today is the uh, vaicharyaki uh, platform that i've been invited to moderate on and uh, this is uh, being conducted by sri aurobindo studies for human excellence at the rashtram school of public leadership at the rishikhod university now uh, as we've seen the topic is religion conflict and spirituality uh, guided by sri aurobindo's thoughts now we have uh, with us uh, two amazing speakers themselves uh, dr pravir malik and uh, sri amit gujral ji now both taking inspiration as we've heard from sri aurobindo and the mother and uh, again uh, coming from a uh, very diverse backgrounds so this kind of uh, we can look forward to a uh, very interesting uh, you know set of talks and a discussion thereafter just a few words from me and i'm i'd like to say that uh, the topic is really a, a big topic and uh, you know something that uh, everybody is uh, you know being touched by uh, they are uh, kind of concerned and they'd like to find solutions and i really i uh, should say at the outset that i'm really not uh, qualified to be uh, you know um, you know saying much about this except like everyone to say that uh, you know we all would uh, like to live in a society that is uh, kind of 
peaceful, living amicably, and uh, solving its problems. But then uh, these problems are, you know, inevitable, and they always come up in any society. And the key is, what do we, how do we proceed? So uh, we all uh, discuss at, uh, you know, our own, in our own ways at home, in, in groups, in colleges, in schools. But, uh, and, but then we see the problems always continuing. And they always have been around. Uh, so now uh, it's easy to get disheartened, be pessimistic, but that really doesn't solve it, uh, you know, solve the problems. And uh, again, I think as we've just heard, and uh, humanity is, uh, despite everything, you know, it's going on, it's uh, evolving, it's uh, creating every ever new uh, creations. And today we see uh, the full force of uh, science and technology that we are all embedded in for good or bad, but uh, we are evolving and uh, very energetically so. Now, um, so my view, uh, just a few words again, is that we are dealing with really complex matters. Uh, when it comes to societal issues. There are just many variables that are involved. And uh, my view is that, uh, you know, any solution coming from the mind level uh, can only address a subset at a time, if at all. Um, I feel that, uh, you know, it could work when uh, at a deeper level, there is some sort of a uniformity to approach to life. But otherwise, uh, you know, the attempts that we make uh, remain just that, the attempts. And I feel this is where perhaps we are in need of a different approach. One that can take in all the variables there are, uh, really the big picture and uh, the reality of what exists. So, and that's where our discussion is going to be uh, focusing. As we know, religion is a big presence uh, in most societies. And uh, on the other hand, spirituality, uh, the life uh, beyond the body, emotions and mind activities, that's the domain of a few amongst us. Happily, we have the works of Sri Aurobindo. He's a uh, you know, luminary, a colossus that uh, we can uh, uh, draw upon, uh, who has himself lived through epochal times and seen conflicts and uh, disturbances. What better than to have uh, his works, his uh, you know, panoramic vision of uh, human existence to draw upon and bear upon our, the ways that we, we make through these times of conflict. What I thought is I'll just leave uh, you with two quotes uh, before we get on with uh, our two speakers. Um, they're both from morality and yoga and both are pertinent and, uh, you know, maybe we can draw something from it. So I will quote, uh, war and conquest. Uh, we're talking of war in, in this uh, excerpt, but uh, on a smaller scale, the conflicts that we see. War and conquest are part of the economy of vital nature. It is no use blaming this or that people for doing it. Everybody does, everybody does it who has the power and the chance. Each is pushed by the forces that use the minds of rulers and peoples to fulfill themselves. Unless human nature changes, 
no amount of moralizing will prevent it. The other, I quote, destruction in itself is neither good nor evil. It is a fact of nature, a necessity in the play of forces as things are in this world. The light destroys the darkness and powers of darkness. That is not a movement of ignorance. It all depends on the character of the destruction and the forces that enter into it. All dread of fire or other violent forces should be overcome for dread shows a weakness, a free spirit, the free spirit can stand fearless before even the biggest forces of nature." Unquote. Here I have to admit to being a novice in this field, I'm a new entrant and I'm still actually grappling with the shock of uh, not having come upon uh, Sri Aurobindo's works until recently. It's been a happy discovery for me and I feel truly fortunate. It's also been wonderful to come upon a world in India and elsewhere of Sri Aurobindo inspired lives. Having met and connected with many scholars, thinkers and followers of Sri Aurobindo. So uh, here I'd like to uh, invite our two panelists to give their views on uh, on uh, the topic of our discussion. Uh, may I begin with uh, Dr. Kravir uh, Maliji? Yes, thank you, of course. Thank you, Lakshmiji. Uh, it's really an honor to be here. And I'd like to also thank Dr. Sampad Nanda Mishra for inviting me and for a very inspiring talk by Swami Brahmadevji. So, um, you know, I should say a little bit about myself before I launch into this, I attempted twice to stay in the Sri Aurobindo Ashram, once for a one-year stint in the Delhi Ashram and a, a three-year stint in the Pondicherry Ashram. But both times I was thrown back into the world and uh, had to go through uh, various paths and um, I think just increase my experience with things and, and observations of things. So what I'm going to say today is, is basically, it's inspired by my interpretation of, of Sri Aurobindo. I've been, the book that I've studied the most has been Savitri, and I've been a, a student of that for about 30 years. But having been out in the world, there's an interpretation that has arisen naturally for me and Today, I'm going to share thoughts on this topic by essentially going into first the structure of stability, then talk about the structure of conflict, and then offer some thoughts on, on religion and spirituality. So the seed thought, when I begin to think about structure of stability, I'm drawn to an old legend. And in that legend, in some true or great reality, perhaps, depending on which part of the world you come from, you may call it Satchitananda, or you may describe it as being filled with omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience, omniharmony. But in that reality, there was an urge, according to this legend, 
for these components of one truth to explore themselves through some manifestation. And confident in their own power and grounded in the sense that they knew everything, they began the separation from that source. And the more they separated from the source, they became more and more the opposite of what they were. And plunged into something very, very different than that original reality. And that plunge into something very different became the opposite of what we understand as omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience, and omniharmony. But that also became the basis of the beginning of this entire manifestation. So the seed of stability, we can say, is in a sense related to these four aspects. And this legend goes further to say that when divine love looked upon what had been created due to the separation, there was concern and something of divine love plunged into this base of the complete opposite of what it had been. So instead of omnipotence, there was complete weakness and there was complete fragmentation, ignorance and complete disharmony. And so love plunged into there. And then the question is when love plunges into that, you know, what begins to happen materially? And we see many manifestations of this fourfoldness that structures matter and life. So we can talk about space-time energy gravity. We can talk about the electromagnetic spectrum. We can talk about quantum particles, atoms, cells. And I'm going to just spend a minute on each of these to indicate how that relation or that stability of these different layers of existence have come into being. So when we think about this conglomerate of space-time energy gravity, which happens all together, we can think of space as being a vast arena of many different kinds of seeds of possibilities. And if we think about what the nature of this arena of an archetype of possibilities is, we can see in that nature something of knowledge. So space is capturing that sense of omniscience, the possibility that exists in space. Now, when we think about time, we can say that whatever is contained in these seeds that animates space through a process of relative time against all odds and against all kinds of oppositions, yet whatever is in the seed will manifest, which means that whatever is occurring in time is related to the sense of power. And this journey from being subtle in a seed to becoming more material, to express the form that was in the seed, is the process of transformation of energy, which we can say is related to this idea of 
omnipresence. And yet, when we look around at life around us, we will see that there's a relationship between seed and seed and seeds and seeds. Everything has an implicit harmony in it. And therefore, we can say that this idea of gravity is, in a sense, a vehicle of that original power of omni-harmony that existed, perhaps, at that layer of Satchitananda, that then began through this plunge to express itself in a different way. So the point being that when we look at the structure of stability, we see that all four of these aspects that you know, I may call presence, power, knowledge, harmony, have to coexist and they're bound together by this plunge of love. If love did not come into this manifestation, then perhaps you, know, you can think of it as a magnet. And if you look at a magnet and if you lay fillings around it, it'll create, in a sense, concentric uh, patterns that weave out. And so love coming into the manifestation also draws out these layers of fourfoldness that create an embryo in which everything else can begin to happen. So stability, you can, we can say that from an evolutionary perspective, stability has to become more and more complex. So the initial manifestation of the stability is as that macro parameter that we call space-time energy gravity. And then we become aware that within that, there's the electromagnetic spectrum. But if we think about what the electromagnetic spectrum is, again, from this idea of fourfoldness, we know that the electro aspect, we already know that it's related to this idea of power. The magnetic aspect is related to the idea of gravity or harmony. Let's just call it harmony. But then we also know that there's a vast range of frequencies or wavelengths within the electromagnetic spectrum, which point to different type of implicit archetypes that will be leveraged in different ways that point to an implicit leveraging of knowledge. And when we think about the electromagnetic spectrum, there's also an implicit mass potential that exists within it. So again, we see this fourfoldness that provides what we call the electromagnetic spectrum stability. And I would hypothesize that this stability wouldn't exist again without the anchor of love that plunged in and caused that thing to come up so that manifestation could progress to more and more complexity. Now we get to areas. So these are perhaps, you know, maybe call the pre-material basis for stability. And now when we look at matter arising, and if we look at the structure of quantum particles, we know that they're all quantum particles can be structured into four categories, known as quarks, leptons, bosons, and the Higgs boson. And if we look at the nature of these quantum particles, we can surmise that quantum particles is a carrier for this property of knowledge or is a vehicle for expressing gradually that thing that we call omniscience. 
And why do I say that? You know, very simply, if we consider an atom of silver, which has an atomic number of 47, we know that that atomic number is due to the number of protons in the nucleus. And we know that the protons themselves are made from quarks and only by quarks. So we have a sense right away that quarks are related to this idea of being a vehicle for knowledge. When we think about leptons, which is a second category of quantum particles, and we think of a key lepton, a surrogate of that, which is, which is an electron, then we know that the release or the capture of electrons is accompanied by vast amount of energy or display of power. So we can say that lepton is, in a sense, the carrier of this idea of power. When we think about bosons, they are the quantum particles that combine together all other quantum particles. So the implicit in that is the idea of harmony. And then when we think about the Higgs boson, any quantum particle that has mass has to get it from the Higgs field through the interaction of the Higgs boson. And therefore, we know that the Higgs boson would be a property or a carrier of presence. So again, we see that all quantum particles that are the base of any matter that's going to arise themselves are structured by this implicit stability that is due to love being surrounded by this fourfoldness. So we're getting a sense for the structure of stability that we would envision would occur again and again. Let's just look at a couple of more levels. If we think about atoms and if we study the periodic table, we will see that the 108 known elements in the universe are structured into S-shell, P-shell, D-shell, and F-shell. And if you think about what constitutes or what are some representative atoms in the S-shell category, we'll find atoms like hydrogen and helium. We know which power suns. So they create nuclear fusion. So they're implicit, have the property or are vehicles of this massive amount of power that can be expressed. So we already get a sense that S-shell is a carrier of this power. When we think about the P-shell, we have archetypal elements in there that represent different parts of the periodic table. Plus, we have known elements such as silicon and carbon. Silicon, of course, which is the base of all computing machinery and carbon, the base of life that evolves into mental life. And so we get a sense that the P-shell is a representation of the, or, or a vehicle for this idea of knowledge, the implicit property of knowledge. When we think of the D-shell, we have workhorse elements such as whether iron, nickel, copper, cobalt, and so on, that are used industrially and that create the infrastructure around us. So we already get a sense that it's a carrier of this idea of presence. And if you look at the F-shell, this is the experimentation at the atomic level of atoms that are relatively massive in size. They have a very high atomic number, which means that they're an experimentation in harmony. You know, how, how many neutrons, protons, electrons can you have together and still remain stable? So you're already seeing that this idea of F-shell is capturing this property of harmony. And again, we can hypothesize or we can see that this layer of stability that then is going to animate all molecules and all matter as we know it is formed by love surrounded by presence, power, knowledge, and harmony.
And when we think about any living cell, then we will find that in any living cell, be it plant, animal, or human, there are four molecular plans. And these molecular plans we know as polysaccharides, proteins, nucleic acids, and uh, proteins. So, you know, but if we think about the nature of these, the protein is in a human cell, there are over 30,000 different proteins, and they are workhorse elements. You know, all the activity, all the movement in the cell is facilitated by proteins. So you get a sense already that this is the carrier of this power of presence or service. Nucleic acids are the cell's libraries, and you get a sense that there's the carrier of knowledge. Lipids create natural compartments in cells without which no harmony would exist, and therefore lipids become carriers of harmony. And polysaccharides provide natural centers of energy in cells without which the cell would not be able to function. And therefore, we can say that it's a carrier of this idea of power. But again, if any of these, regardless of the level that we just explored, you know, whether it's, it's space-time energy gravity, whether it's electromagnetic spectrum, quantum particles, atoms, cells, you require, it's required that all four of these aspects operate as one. And they are bound by this nature of love. And if this love did not exist, and if any of these independent parts operated on its own, there would be complete instability. And that gives us a hint into the structure of conflict as well. So to summarize so far, you know, structure of stability is simply love surrounded by presence, power, knowledge, and harmony. And we will find if we extrapolate beyond the level of the cell that the human being, that culture, that civilization, we can also see is a more complex form of these four things in which more of the omnipotence, more of the omniscience, or more of the omniharmony, more of the omniscience, the, the, the omnipresence comes forward. So whatever is meant by those words, the function that's embedded in them becomes more explicit as the complexification increases. Now, that's a summary of the stability. The but the conflict, the, the st structure of conflict is, again, in the absence of that love, or where any of the four elements begin to act independently. Now, I'm going to just draw on the example of a cell. We talked about cell having the four molecular plans. And I'm going to extrapolate that. Let's imagine that you know, this, the cell is completely conscious. And each of these parts that are in the cell was at some time had its own consciousness in a sense. So proteins represent something. Polysaccharides represent something. Nucleic acids represent something. Lipids represent something. And when we think about religion, we may say that, imagine that you are a participant in that life of the cell. And you know, as we know, there are you know, thousands and thousands of different entities within a cell. And imagine that there's 
some kind of protein that exists there and the protein is facilitating always your movement from one place in the cell to the other and pretty soon when you look at that protein you may think oh my god you know this protein is endowed with extraordinary powers and there might be a sense of religiosity and and, and worship and 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 trying to put it up on on a you know extraordinary pedestal and then i look at a nucleic acid and i'll say you know without this nucleic acid uh the next generation of cells you know imagine i'm generation five of of a cell that's divided and I'll say, you know, it was that original cell where the nucleic acids existed in a certain way, and then the DNA split. And uh, you know, if it wasn't for that original DNA, you know, now there's avatars that have been created, and I'm in the fifth generation, and this is the great nucleic acid that uh, you know is is in my vicinity, and so I can now uh, get religious about that. You know, if or if the you know there's there's another. Uh, there's a lot of infighting in the cell and then all of a sudden you have these lipid compartments that emerge and, and separate the conflict and everything becomes harmonious and you'll say you know what an extraordinary power this has you know let me worship it you know let me just put it on a pedestal and, and so it all becomes something more than what it, it is and then similarly you know the polysaccharide functions in a certain way and parts of the cell will get enamored of that and and start worshiping all the energy that they feel from when it comes near it's near, near where they are situated in the cell and you know all of a sudden you have this beginnings of of different religions that that have occurred or appear in the cell and but if you look at it and the structure of stability with the love surrounded by all four then you see that these different things are nothing but uh, faces of one truth or one reality that expresses itself that needs to express itself at this level of manifestation through five apparently different things but it's it's one thing but the conflict arises because we've lost the sense of that oneness and have somehow become enamored of the separate piece and believe that to be holding truth that other parts don't have and, and so that becomes then a model or structure for conflict uh, due to this religion that has arisen within the environment of the self when one thinks about spirituality then it's that connection it's the idea of beginning to see how things are merged, how it's all connected, how everything is a different and unique face of the one thing that is behind it, that gives a sense, a visceral sense for what spirituality may be. But also if we consider this whole idea of something from an unmanifested truth reality that we may call Satchitananda, that of course relates to omnipresence omnipotence omniscience omniharmony if we consider that then manifesting as space-time energy gravity manifesting as the electromagnetic spectrum manifesting as quantum particles manifesting as atoms as cells then becoming from cells different tissues from different layers of tissues of different kinds of tissues becoming different organs that then animate 
a whole bunch of um, different life forms, but yet you see that that the similar foreigners is all in it, then you get a sense for also the spirituality creating more and more expression of what it is at its core through these layers of additional complexification that continue to build on the previous layer. And that is, in a sense, this idea of the explicit materialization of something that's implicit and the oneness of this implicitness becoming more one, even in the explicitness, is what, from this point of view, is what I'd call spirituality. But anyway, that's would uh, summarize my thoughts on, again, on stability, on the structure of conflict, on the structure of religion within the context of a cell and the idea of spirituality. Thank you, Praviji. Um, it's been, uh, I mean, uh, fascinating to me that uh, you've been able to, uh, you know, um, take in so many scales, right from structure of the universe to quantum particles, and then you come to um, elements, formation of elements, uh, and then to uh, cells, and therefore you relate it to um, people, societies, and uh, religion and conflicts. It's it's all encompassing, and uh, uh, we'll have interesting, um, you know, uh, ways to go between the two. Um, you you mentioned the centrality of love, and uh, which provides the stability to structures, but you need that. Uh, as you say, all encompassing the four principles, uh, power, knowledge, harmony, and uh, and uh, presence. Um, I, I really am fascinated uh, given that, you know, it also touches a little bit about, uh, a little bit upon, you know, some of the work that I do, just using the different frequencies that you talked about as uh, providing knowledge. And they do, they do provide all the knowledge that uh, you, you, you can capture uh you know so yeah let's uh you know we'd love to uh take this forward and uh thank you for that uh i'd like to move on to uh talk um you know a few words from uh amit kuchralji amitji yeah hi uh good morning everyone and uh a lot of gratitude from me to Sampaji and Swamiji for this opportunity to be part of this uh, discussion today. Now, uh, I am going to approach uh, this topic from uh, a perspective which is my own lived experience. You know, instead of uh, drawing too much on academic uh, knowledge, and at the same time, I am going to beg everybody's indulgence that I am going to be reading from prepared notes because, uh, you know, my work schedule did not leave me too much time to uh, do too much preparation. So I have prepared some notes and I am going to be reading from them as uh, I do uh, dwell upon religion, conflict and spirituality and Sri Aurobindo's thoughts. So. I mean, the first thing that comes to one's mind is that what is the difference between the two terms, religion and spirituality, right? Uh, for a long time, I used to describe myself as being irreligious, but spiritual. 
And you know, I could not, I mean, I somehow this discussion has forced me to take a deeper look, even when we use those terms, you know, that what is it that denotes religion and where is the separation that happens between religion and spirituality? So now even a cursory search for the meaning shows that religion as a specific set of beliefs and practices followed by a group or community, while spirituality denotes an individual quest for a higher purpose or meaning a reaching beyond the apparent physical reality to a domain that transcends it. Uh, if I go with these meanings, one also has to come face up with the fact that almost all recognized religions have their genesis in the spiritual seeking of an individual or a succession of individuals who were thinkers, seers or prophets and who have expounded a particular train of thought. Over a period of time, these thoughts found adherents who were content with the version of the truth presented to them by the original seeker or seekers. The human seeker was then supplanted by a bunch of adherents and unquestioning practitioners who were willing to accept and adopt another's realization as their ultimate truth. So this, to my mind, is the demarcation between religion and spirituality. For those of us who are content to accept another's truth as the ultimate truth that will guide us, are willing to accept a set of practices and rituals as a way of governing our life, I would call us as you know, religious people. And those of us who will question any established truth and want to seek a truth for themselves that will resonate with their own being are those who are stepping into a spiritual realm, right? Uh, having established this difference between the two, uh, you know, one is minded of uh, Sri Aurobindo and the mother, I mean, when in 1924, Sri Aurobindo had the great realization of the Krishna consciousness. And there was a moment the mother says where the entire ashram was in a great state of fervor and you had the possibility of establishing a new religion. Right. And at that time, they took a very conscious decision that why would they perpetuate the same mistake that humanity had been making before them? The the need to uh, turn away from a set of practices or a defined religion and this need to deify that needed that was very uh, summarily you know uh, put aside at that time and what evolved thereafter was a system of yoga which was meant for the individual. Right. So each individual Orbindonian, I mean, I would like to stress again, is a seeker in every sense of the word. Uh, we are all individuals seeking our own perfection. Right. We each one of us represent a unique possibility. I mean, Praveer before me was talking about uh, the role of quantum physics. Right. And I think as with every electron, as with every particle in the universe, each one of us represents a distinct possibility, right? And at every moment in our life, 
we are, have a different opportunity. We are absolutely free in the way we evolve. And this evolution uh, for most of us happens accidentally. But when by some act of grace, we stumble upon a teacher and we become conscious of this evolution and become participants in it is when I feel a yogic journey or spiritual quest truly begins to take shape. Now, what uh, again, I mean, like, was, let's say, the problem with organized religion. I am minded again of, you know, where Sri Aurobindo uh, gives the example of the seven blind men who were asked to describe an elephant, right? And each of them describes the elephant as whatever part of the elephant they managed to reach in their groping. And that is the essence of all human religions for you. Uh, each religion is like the gropings of their blind of those blind men. You arrive at a partial truth, which is put out and the adherents subsequently will accept that as the ultimate truth, which is not open to any further questioning, right? The truth as we all know it, I mean, at least in my personal journey, like, uh, was that every time I would, as I started seeking at a very young age, probably even before my teens, was that every time I would come and delve into any school of thought, and I would come against this brick wall of something being the ultimate truth, or some magic mantra, or some magic practice, and something in me would recoil and say, no, this cannot be it. The truth cannot be exclusive. It cannot be the domain of a few people. God cannot be this uh, being who has uh, created an entire universe and then chosen to disclose himself all the way to himself to only a select few, right? And this was where my disconnect with religion on an individual level started the search continued of course because there was a deep dissatisfaction with whatever i was encountering and it was just a stroke of luck that i went to the gnostic center to enroll my own uh, children in some summer classes and while i was waiting my turn i picked up the synthesis of yoga opened the first page and read all life is yoga and that is when, you know, I could immediately sense a chord that this is somebody who is talking my language that, yes, if all life is yoga, all life is a way of reaching to one's creator, to reaching its divine. Yes, this is what I need to uh, delve into, to accept and adopt. Now, I was fortunate, or maybe, I mean, perhaps, now that I look in retrospect, there was some inner preparation, which probably had brought me into a state of readiness where I was willing to accept this kind of breadth of vision. Uh, why is it that this is truth or the possibility of this search is not apparent to everybody else in the universe and the answer again to that lies in the fact that all of us are journeying at our own pace 
we are all at different stages in our evolutionary quest and knowledge is revealed to us uh, in proportion to our readiness to receive it. I mean, I'm again minded of Sri Krishna in the Gita, where he says that in whatever form you approach me, I shall appear before you. So it is probably, I feel, maybe something in my past life experiences or in this life's experiences or in my search had prepared me to be able to uh, abandon organized religion and go on to this quest into this magnificent journey into the unknown, literally, which is Sri Aurobindo's integral yoga. Uh, now, having, you know, uh, kind of split the two, religion and spirituality, right? One needs to come back into what is the genesis of conflict? I mean, is it something that is inherent in organized religion itself? Or is it, as uh, Lakshmiji pointed out in her first quote itself, to do with the human vitality? And I am inclined to agree totally with what was mentioned in that quote. Uh, organized religion is just one more form of identity that we attach ourselves to. We get born into various identities, a religious identity, a cultural identity, a linguistic identity, a national identity, and we can be as fanatical and as fervent as any one of them. And it is this inherent fanaticism and fervor which are the seeds of all conflict. As long as we are willing to uh, look beyond identities and dive back into our inherent oneness, that to me is the only way that humanity will evolve from this zone of conflict. The conflict that we see around us is not a byproduct of a religion. It's not the byproduct of any other ism. It's an outer manifestation of our inner state, which is that the bulk of humanity today is really very wedded to its animal origins. We have moved very little from our animalistic behavior. You just need to scratch the surface and the animal leaps out immediately. We are, I mean, should that be a cause for dismay? I wouldn't say so. I heard the younger speakers before me asking if we are going to see the end of conflict in our lifetimes. I don't have an answer to that, but I would tell them to go back maybe 100 years, 200 years, 500 years and see how much we have evolved, how witches were being burned at the stake in medieval Europe, what, 500 years back? Can you think of that being done today? You can't. So it is when, and I mean, change has to be gradual. There is no artificiality to change. You can't impel change. And change has to proceed from the individual into the collective. It's when enough people get disgusted with a certain way of being that you stop 
being that way we've seen this in so many things not i mean even within our own lifetimes right i go back to my grandparents generations and i saw how much of uh, let's say uh, resistance there was to free thought right a family elders way uh, word could not be challenged right today generations like us us we ask our children to be the best version of themselves now that to me is evolution and i uh, like to think of myself as extremely optimistic where it comes to that because if i look at all of existence behind me i know evolution is the natural state of the world we are going to be impelled towards it to the extent that we are going to do it consciously it will happen without pain to the extent that we are going to resist that evolution we will face conflicts that we see around us are just a manifestation of that same pain that resistance to move towards that oneness that ultimate uh, ideal of what i would uh, say i mean in the vedas right the that plane of consciousness which is described as satyam ritam brihat it has to be all based in the absolute truth it has to be dynamic free of all time it has to be brihat it has to be vast it has to encompass all and it will happen i'm sure because that is the nature of our own being we will reach there i don't know how many lifetimes definitely not in our lifetime and not in one lifetime and not probably all together we are each of us unique on our own journey and i don't know how many lifetimes each is going to take to reach that but that is the destination we are all destined to reach that's it thank you lovely thank you so much amit ji um yeah it's, it's really uh, giving a, a beautiful um, you know picture of uh, how we can come to have this wide uh, uh, vision which you were you know mentioning that uh, um, why is it the domain of just a few how can we you know get it and then you came to this uh, uh, that it we all have our own pace at which we arrive at it it could take several lifetimes now um you know there are these two both of you have come from such different angles and there's a lot that we'd like to correspond between the two of you uh, you know praviji uh, talking of these structures and their stabilities and uh, you know and uh, amiji you talking about people and their evolution and coming to this wider um, and and you know getting beyond the identity so i, I mean i would actually uh, offer you uh, both to ask each other questions uh, coming from these different angles but i have a, a you know uh, your point uh, to kind of discuss with you too that uh, you mentioned that uh, you know religion is something uh, that that you uh, said is you know 
uh, having a smaller and a set of principles you accept of somebody else's you don't question them and then spirituality is of course going beyond that and being uh, you know having that wider but at the same time you mentioned as i just uh, said that we arrive at these uh, you know uh, levels of maturity i would say uh, at our own pace so do you think that you know religion does have a place it is a process in our evolution it is kind of giving us uh, experiences uh, which again teach us and so we would not uh, kind of uh, say there is no place for religion um, what would you say and i'll come to praveer after that uh, lakshmi i definitely feel that uh, every religion uh, has a place in the human evolutionary journey i mean it is only you know our limited understanding and probably our moral standpoints which uh, you know make us weigh one against the other right but to me it's very clear that everything that is manifested is with the divine will even what i consider to be uh, let's say uh, i i would hate to use the term abhorrent right but even behind that i mean my conditioning today would compel me to see what is it within myself that is shrinking from what i'm finding abhorrent in another thought system and to widen myself i don't think rejection is the way for the spiritual seeker it is always one of widening so every religion even those uh, that are responsible for a lot of conflict and violence today i feel form an essential part of our of the journey of our manifestation they uh, needed to bring out something within uh, the collective human consciousness something that needed to be addressed right so uh, in saying that all religions are aspects of the truth i still maintain that there is a lot of positivity in every religion every religion also has a lot that has uh, necessitated reform the, some religions the older religions have reformed more right we are seeing today a lot that of uh, anguish in the world with very militant islamism right uh now uh, for me it's probably it's the infant amongst all the world religions if you look at it right i mean if uh, we look at what christianity was up to 3 4 5 hundred years back is what islam is doing today you had whole cultures and civilizations which were wiped out because the christians felt that that was their moral duty to uh propagate and expound their thought process you're seeing it today with islam you might see tomorrow with another thought process as long as we have these isms and we have people wedded to that consciousness you will have this vital need to propagate to preserve to subjugate you're acting from your vital but yes i do insist that religion is an essential part of human evolution there are no shortcuts from the proton to the electron to the cell to the tissue we have evolved and we will continue to evolve till we reach our sachidananda nice thank you 
Yes. So, Pravirji, uh, do you think uh, religions religions have their place, and uh, yes. you know, they are kind of a preparation for you know, yes, everyone? Yes, Lakshmi I, I do. I do think that religions have their place, and uh, you know, of course, it's it's most powerful at the time of um, the the whether it's an avatar or or or, or whether it's it's the guru who's central to that way of uh, being that that's when i think a religion you know tends to be most powerful but if it's a, a living thing then it can continue through generations if if that experience that the religion is really pointing to or that way of approaching the divine or the the one divinity that's behind this these are religions are all different faces so if that's there if it hasn't been lost then of course religion remains a, a a very important aspect of things you know i'll also say very practically that having worked in it, on several continents and you know mostly in the us and in india for several years and i've come across people in, in the workplace who are of different religions and you know one, one can see that there's uh, a spirituality that exists in, in these people, you know, it, it doesn't matter what religion they, they, they really say they're part of. But if there's uh, something, if there's this sincerity, if there's a deep seeking, then already something different comes through them. And whatever practices they have in their religion, if there is the sincerity with it, then already veils are broken, you know, so something different different comes forward so absolutely Prabhuji. yes uh, um, before we get to this uh, sincerity and that speaks across across barriers we come to that um, you uh, related the cellular level to religion and uh, you know um, when we speak of religion, and uh, yeah, it's wonderful to hear that it's a, it's they're all, uh, they have their place. There is a rigidity of uh, unwillingness too, uh, although there have been reforms. How do you think? Uh, how would you? I'm just out of curiosity. How would you bring about, or rather, uh, relate cellular level uh, your thinking to rigidity? And uh, the second question is. Uh, it's, a, it's a hopeful question saying, uh, what's the time scale or which you would think rigidity might rigidity might uh, kind of give in and, you know, let it evolve to, yeah. to this wider uh, consciousness. Yeah, if, if we look at any of those molecular plans that, that uh, I had focused on at the level of the cell, you know, of course, there's a vast amount of development that's gone into them that has taken billions of years. You know, so right from the quantum particles to atoms to the formation of molecules. So there's a lot of uh, intelligence. There's a lot of um, kind of implicit understanding in a sense. There's an expression of some unique functionality that comes forward. So, you know, of course, there's a place for rigidity because that shouldn't be lost, you know, in, in some sense. I mean, that uniqueness that has expressed itself through its own journey it remains something valuable. And, and so the question is, you know, how can these different uniquenesses really accept other uniquenesses as well? You know, because that 
so there's there's so when we think about rigid you know if we're saying that it's just my point of view that's correct and nothing else is correct that's one kind of rigidity and and that is going to cause conflict and then conflict itself has its place to break down that rigidity ultimately that's what's going to happen because whatever rigidity ex uh, exists amongst these different functionalities if they remain just rooted in that point of view that theirs is the only thing, then the conflict will force them to give that up sooner or later, and, and they'll become something different. But if there's already within that uniqueness or the way that rigidity has come about, the openness to really be the function that is being expressed through that uniqueness, truly be it, then the rigidity means nothing. You know, it's just a it's just a structure by which it maintains its physical form. That's all. Uh, I'd like to come in here as well, uh, Lakshmi, on that. And uh, this is again now from the you know a psychological uh, point of view as to uh, what uh, we describe as rigidity is also I mean the maintenance of form, right? Uh, which uh, if you go down even to the teachings of the mother and Sri Aurobindo, the necessity of the ego till a certain stage of your own development where you are developed enough to be able to offer something to the divine. Um, so structure, any structure is an imperative for, uh, you know, to be able to develop it to its full potential before you offer it to the divine. So even what we, uh, in our judgment, in our, from our, let's say, mental moral judgment, uh, to say that something is inferior or superior, these are functions of our mind to the spirit, to be able to define a structure, to take it to its luminous perfection. That is the journey of evolution and, uh, Sachidanan could have stayed as the all. The fact that it chose to manifest, Praveer gave one beautiful legend. You have the legend from the Rig Veda itself, where, you know, in the beginning there was the one, he felt alone, he needed another, therefore he created the other, the otherness of him, right? So the otherness of him, the creator, is also a divine impulsion. And every possibility, every atom, every electron is part of that possibility. And that otherness has to maintain itself till it has achieved its evolutionary uh, purpose. So I feel that even for every religion, the no religion per se is bad. It has a luminous end to achieve. And I think for the adherence of every religion, that is their task cut out. There's nothing wrong with being religious. There are people uh, who in abandoning religion, abandon everything altogether. And I see a lot with youngsters today. They've stopped being religious. They're not spiritual. And they are therefore fruitless. Right? So there is nothing wrong with religion per se. It is with our attitude, with our intentions. As Swamiji said it, we have to uh, be mindful of that and see that our practice of our religion is actually towards what it is meant to embody 
of the divine. Beautiful, thank you. Oh, I see that we have a few question, uh, questions. Uh, Neelamji, how are we going with the time? And then we have a uh, half hour uh, left for the discussion. We, you can take all the questions. So uh, let me read out uh, one of the questions, uh, which is uh, from, uh, let me begin from the beginning. Uh, yes, uh, Vikramaditya. So the question is, uh, people often say that uh, this is your truth, this is my truth, this is your conviction, and everything is just perspective, and nobody knows the truth. Is it so? Are there no fundamental truths which don't which which don't change, no matter the perspective. So I could, uh, I mean, either of you could uh, take it up. Yeah, I, I'll offer a thought here. You know, I think that to to see your quote unquote truth, you know, one has to be at the the level to see it. You know, and so for example, you know, if you know, Sri Aurobindo or, or the mother, they have a different vision, and you know, I certainly myself would never uh, you know, be able to say that, you know, this is the truth or that is the truth, or, uh, you know, I wouldn't feel qualified to do that. Um, but if somebody has a right to do it, you know, then it's a different story, so. Uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, I, I think there is only one truth. And, uh, the fact that we are limited in our vision of the truth shows that we are seeing an aspect of the truth. So when we say my truth versus your truth, each is seeing a particular aspect of the truth. To be able to see the whole truth, we need to evolve in our consciousness to be able to be on that plane and all of us, at least, I mean, we are very, very far from that ideal. It takes a very uh, strong discipline. It takes a lot of inner widening to be able to assimilate the other's truth into your truth. And therefore with each progressive widening, I feel that we come closer to the truth, but it's an unending process. So I can only say from personal experience, every time you feel uh, any shrinking, you feel any distaste, right? Don't look at the other, look within to see where is it that you have failed to widen yourself to be able to appreciate that truth. Uh, you know, most of us, when we go back to the Gita, focus on the Karma Yoga, right? To me, I mean, I think given the state of affairs of the world and the amount of conflict that we're seeing at large, right? For me, the key statement is of Krishna telling Arjun that when you hate anything, you're hating my embodied form. I think if all of those at least who profess to be guided by Sri Krishna, the Gita and Sri Aurobindo, if we were to take this into our lives, and to check ourselves every time we feel any hate, we feel any shrinking, we feel any discomfort, we need to remind ourselves that even that which we are hating or we are being discomforted by is a form of Sri Krishna. I think that will help us resolve a lot of human conflict. Thank you for that. 
so the second question is from Surendra Kumar. Uh, since there is evolution towards oneness, whether there would be one religion or no religion at the stage of that oneness? Uh, yeah, I think, sorry, I think we uh, talked about it, but please go ahead, uh, any, any one of you. So uh, since there is evolution towards oneness, whether there would be one religion or no religion at that the stage of oneness? So I, I mean, I, I mean, to me, religion donates a particular set of beliefs, uh, a set of practices, which distinguishes itself from the whole. It's a part of the whole. If you're looking at becoming the whole, I don't see scope for any religion at all. I think you would be the pure spirit. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that, that there wouldn't be a, a place for separate religions and that oneness. There may be different faces and there may be uh, different manifestations, but there would always be a knowledge of the oneness in it. So. I think this is a comment here by Dinesh uh, saying, I feel that the discussion today is leading us to the fruition of Sri Aurobindo's fifth dream. I would like to know it's uh, from Sri Amitji, how this can be achieved in a comparatively shorter span of time and what should be our role in enabling that? Uh, you know, all I can say is, I mean, from my own personal experience, uh, see within yourself as to the task that you have been given. Now, I'm going to share something, uh, you know, when I did my first course based on uh, integral yoga, this was conducted, uh, the foundation course for facilitators at the Gnostic Center. And uh, I was asked what I wanted to work upon. And somewhere from within me, I mean, the word equality came up. And uh, this was more than two decades back that I started working on equality. And, you know, two decades later, I realized that that is still my key challenge of achieving equality through surrender, right? So to say that, I mean, as an individual, you see how slow the progress is to be able to prophesize as to what the progress is going to be for a collective I don't think it is in the realm of individuals like me, at least, to be able to prophesize that. But yes, I would say we all need to become conscious. We all need to become uh, collaborants in this process of evolution. And to that extent that we become conscious and we start collaborating, we will definitely accelerate. Yeah, and I... I... I'm, I'm a little confused on what Sri Aurobindo's fifth dream is, whether that's the oneness of humanity or whether that's um, uh, the evolution of uh, humanity to the stage of supermind. I can't, I can't remember. So if, if somebody could just elaborate that, then I can respond to it. So. Okay. The evolution of humanity. Evolution. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I'd say very practically is that 
you know, like like Amit was pointing out, if if I look at myself, it, there's you know vast amount of disarray at any point. You know, just within myself, there's different parts that <clears throat> want different things, <clears throat> and uh, just that process of unification around a a, a central truth uh, or the center of who I am is something that you know needs to occur and. If that can't occur within me, then um, you know certainly you know I can't play a part in anything else that that may uh, you know be envisioned. So that's that's the first step. But but if I can do that, then and if everybody can do that, then I think things will go faster towards that. So thank you, uh, Praveenji. Uh, one last question, and you know, more questions and suggestions are welcome. But uh, let's go on to the next. Uh, actually, uh, the comment, uh, the question by Dinesh leads to a few other more practical uh, questions. We we'll come to that later. It will take Nilima Bhatt's question. Uh, can the speakers reflect on what is India's spiritual destiny for working out human unity? What is the need of the hour? How do we harmonize so many religions that are at different levels of evolution? Lovely. Please, anyone. Uh, we could start with uh, Praveerji. Sure, sure, sure. So I, I think that the very fact that your mother and Sri Aurobindo have come to earth and continue to do their work here means already a huge step forward. And it means already that whatever apparent conflicts are happening on the surface, there is already some deeper work that's that's going on to integrate everything. I mean, that's a question of faith, but they wouldn't have come to earth unless there was the possibility of this to happen very soon. Um, and, and I think that the very fact of being here and continuing to being in the earth atmosphere and perhaps even in bodies that that we cannot see means that things will happen much more quickly than than we can anticipate and we won't even recognize the beginnings of when that new thing has happened unless we have the ability to see differently so i i i, I agree uh, completely uh, with prabir on this and i think you know the uh, advent of the internet the spread of social media the dissemination of knowledge i mean these are all tools they are not accidents they are propelling humanity towards a greater universalism they are uh, going to take us to a higher shared knowledge i I keep saying that I am an inadvertent optimist, right? And I am very clear that, I mean, there, there is no other option. Evolution will take us to the end. Either we will cooperate and collaborate with it, or we will go kicking, but we will reach there. Thank you, Amiji. Actually, this kind of, uh, you know, corresponds to something that I had in mind myself. Uh, saying that, um, do we see signs of that already? And you answered that. Yeah. yeah. 
So uh, there is a comment here by Dinesh again. Saying, the final dream was a step in evolution, which would raise man to a higher and larger consciousness and begin the solution of the problems which have perplexed and vexed him since he first began to think and to dream of individual perfection and perfect society. This is the fifth dream. Thank you. Um, yeah, coming to uh, questions leading on from a previous question of Dinesh's, uh, I think that, uh, so yeah, how do we grow, uh, you know, the numbers? Uh, yes, social media, internet, talking like this across different groups and, uh, you know, helps. But can we have a way by which we can, you know, make it more, uh, reduce the time scale, time scale uh, like somebody said, before we, we get there. Uh, education plays a big role. Um, and, and probably there are so many other uh, ways to do this. So coming to education as such, what is the I know there are different constraints. We've had the new new education policy and so on. Uh, you know, this, this thing that students at any age really, in, particularly in schools, can be, uh, I mean, certainly everybody would agree that besides whatever it is that they're learning, uh, what they hope to learn and what they hope to become, uh, you know, is so much more uh, made so much more effective and possible if only they are able to you know see their mind and the way it works and uh, how their emotions and uh, there are simple lessons that can be introduced and uh, i don't know today what the situation is but uh, to my uh, knowledge I, I have interacted with uh, schools and uh, i don't see it happening the stress is on you know um, academic uh, achievements and uh, you know yeah so either of you given your backgrounds uh, how how do you think we can you know start introducing these without really perturbing the structure too much uh lakshmi i i, I feel that the only uh, way is to lead by example Right, and I think you know, especially uh, where it comes to uh, dealing with young minds and children, right? I mean, we've had three children, but uh, I was—I mean, even before uh, I stumbled upon Sri Aurobindo, I was already Aurobindonian in my thought. So my only message to my children was that you're lucky you're born to parents who can give you whatever you need, but we can't give you a dream that has to come from you. Right. And, uh, I mean, my children have all, each one of them moved into their own trajectories, done their own thing. And very often I would uh, be asked by people that, how could you give them that kind of leeway? I mean, my son at age six decided he was the next Maradona and for the next, uh, 15 years, I was following all over the globe while he was trialing with different clubs till he ended up in an American university. Now for an Indian kid where there is no football to have decided he was going to be a footballer and then to have a father who would facilitate that. And I feel that that is how we 
uh, our generation at least will play its role in evolution. We need to uh, let free these young souls believe in uh, the divine's purpose in them. You know, unfortunately, I mean, we did not have that leisure and that uh, liberty. Most of our decisions were taken for us by our parents and our family elders. So uh, I would say, I mean, today, not just for India, but for the world, the youth have an innate wisdom, right? They are souls. They, they have come with a purpose. Let us learn to facilitate them in achieving that purpose instead of imposing what we feel should be their path or their journey or their means of development. So that's all that I would say um, that as humanity, right, let's have faith in our youth and their ability to move forward. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, I've, I've learned from the school of hard knocks, you know, having two sons myself uh, of uh, 20 and 24. And, um, you know, as you said so well, it's it, each of them has is entirely unique and different. And it's so easy to to try and impose structure or, or, or to try and suggest, you know, what what they should be doing. But I think really the need of the hour is to create a system, the educational system that, that really allows uniqueness to flourish in, in the unique way that, that it's meant to. And, and so how do we not um, stop that journey? I think that's, that's a critical thing, so. So that's something to be recognized by the school bodies, uh, just to keep that in mind while uh, structuring their classes, keep some time aside to really get to know the students, spend time with them, you know, other than just in a very formal manner of conveying a lecture or something. Uh, there is a question that's been, uh, Govind has put up his hand. Uh, Govind, would you like to ask your question? With your permission, I'll just read out a quote of the mothers, if that's okay. Can I read that? Uh, I think Lakshmi is okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll just read out the quote. It says, <clears throat> until the age of about 25, all I knew was the God of religions. God as men have created him and I did not want him at any price. I denied his existence, but with the certitude that if such a God did exist, I detested him. When I was about 25, I discovered the inner God. And at the same time, I learned, and this is uh, something that really astonished me, and I would really like to share this with people. This is once she has realized the inner God. She says, at the same time, I learned that the God described by most Western religions, and these are the religions we are here to talk about, basically, because we know there's a, these are the religions which we are having a problem with today. So the God described by most Western religions is none other than the great adversary. That the God described by most Western religions is none other than the great adversary. Uh, when I came to India in 1914 and became acquainted with Sri Aurobindo's teaching, everything became very clear. Uh, I just wanted to kind of uh, share this because I thought it was relevant to the topic 
because you know generally uh, at least coming from our tradition uh, we really tend to emphasize you know the unitive aspect of religions and spirituality but there is a rich tradition going back all the way to you know the hori past which is also a tradition of distinction and very fine distinction which is there in the gita also which very clearly says that the type of god also matters the concept of god also matters that while the gita is taking saying vasudevam sarvaniti and all that but it also says that depending on your consciousness if you are a tamasic person or if you are a rajasic person or a satvic person or basically what kind of consciousness you have you will end up worshiping a different kind of god you know if you if you are a satvic person you will worship a deva if you are a rajasic person you will worship somebody who is a rakshasa or an asura and uh, if you are a tamasic person you will worship a certain different kind of a god so i think this is something that uh, we need to also bring into the discussion whenever we are talking about religions and why we are facing this problem because we have been preaching the message of unity and the message of brotherhood and the message of peace you know since sarve bhavantu sukhina and you know everything all since those time but why is it for thousands of years we have been suffering so much at the hands of these religions is because their concept of god is completely different and the consciousness from which that god emerges is a very different consciousness because while we are here uh, trying to solve the problem of the harmony of religions they are very clear that they are trying to solve the problem of our existence because from their perspective from the perspective of their religions the problem is that there are these other religions which are existing which are uh, anathema in their perspective so that is a very different kind of a god and a very different kind of a religion and uh, we need to recognize that while we also understand that you know that in kurukshetra both sides is krishna both sides is vasudev but there is a distinction there is a difference the kauravas are there and the pandavas are there and while arjuna is constantly trying to figure out what is the right way and philosophizing and going back to discussing with krishna the kauravas have no doubt they are absolutely clear in their mission what they want to do and that is why we need to make sure that we are also very realistic as shrivanda says in the essays of the gita that we need to have the courage to look at the world in the face and see how terrible it is and not delude ourselves that oh you know everything is good and fine you know that's the while it that's an aspect as uh, amit ji was pointing there's an aspect there's another aspect we need to actually keep in mind and uh, that is something very important to our existence because we are going to reach a very ominous milestone very soon uh, within a few years or in a decade the in the combined continent subcontinent of india the number of muslims is going to be more than number of hindus so once that happens there's going to be a very different kind of a uh, kind of a dynamic in play and in india also the population is growing extremely fast so while we may say that okay we need to transcend religion but the moment that happens you know something bad is going to replace something good you know which may maybe something we need to transcend uh, so but life spirituality sadhana is going to become exceedingly difficult if that happens so we need to keep our eye on this aspect of the truth as well and that's all i wanted to add thank you uh thank you. lakshmi ji i would like to take that please absolutely uh, please do. yeah 
um, Govind, uh, you know, we can either say that we are submitted to the divine will, right? Or we can start exercising our own intelligence where these things are concerned. Now, I uh, can tell you that it is my firm belief that every religion, every god or uh, godhead has manifested because it is the divine will for that form to have manifested. There is no other. I mean, I cannot claim to be a Sanatni and then suddenly imagine that there is some other outside of that who is now my great adversary. Everything is within this one, right? Should it be the divine will that Islam will triumph? It will triumph. Should it not be the divine will? It will not triumph. At least let us, when we say that we are submitted to the divine will, have faith in the divine will. I feel that all these are parts of our soul journey, of our evolution. I mean, at times, I don't know what my past lives have been, but I've always felt that at some lifetime, I must have been a Muslim. Another lifetime, I might have been a Christian. Another lifetime, I might have been a Eurasian. I don't know, right? But I do know that every manifestation is part of the one. They're all part of this one journey. They will also evolve like we have evolved. Like I said, this is Islam today is a very young religion is in comparison. Christianity was doing that 500 years back. Judaism was doing that before that. We have fought wars with Buddhists. We fought wars with Jains. This is part of human nature. Let us not get dismayed. Yes, to the extent that all of us can be better human beings, let's strive towards that. And believe me, I mean, I am not one to shy away from the ills of Islamism. I do not believe in the Gandhian Ahimsa. As Swamiji said, yes, the Gita does teach us to stand up against evil where we see it. But evil is not necessarily emanating only from one source. We need to even watch for the evil within. Right? So this is all I'm going to say. Don't get dismayed. Have a abundant goodwill in your heart. You will, I mean, I have a workforce which is 80% Muslim. And I can tell you that forever. I mean, I've been working for 30 years. The rosas start with the namaz being read in my premises. The first plate of iftari comes on my table, right? They sit with me on the Diwali puja. All of them get the kaleva tied and they get tilak done. This is also a reality. My daughter's best friend happens to be a Muslim. She's like a third daughter to me. Every time she's been here, whenever we had, had Hindu festivals and my children are not there, she has conducted every ceremony with us. So these are, again, we fall into a trap of otherness. How are we any different? We say that this is an Abrahamic mindset. I think, unfortunately, what is happening, that even those of us who claim to come from a Sanatni background, forget what are our Sanatni roots, the injunction of Krishna not to feel hatred for any embodied form. That is our role as Sanatnis. That is the message we need to take out to the world, not to become like that which we hate. 
So that's all I'm going to say. I know it is a matter of concern. It is a matter of dismay. Yes, but also we need to be mindful that there is a fringe within every religion. If we are not mindful of the fringe, we will have another fringe within Hinduism and we see it. I mean, you know, I keep uh, thinking about that, God forbid, we were to achieve this so-called Hindu Rashtra tomorrow. Whose version of Hinduism would uh, dictate what that Hindu Rashtra would be? Do you know how many differences there are within Hinduism? So like you're fighting with the Islamists today, you're going to be fighting amongst yourselves tomorrow. Oneness is a human ideal. Each of us has to carry that light within us and be very sure that that light will triumph. That's all that I can say. Thank you, uh, Amitji, for that. Um, yeah, uh, please, Prabir, Prabhuji, do you have anything to say to this? Or go with no, I, I would rather that it end with uh, Amit's comments. So thank you. Um, so uh, there are many other questions that uh, you know come up, uh, but I, again, I'm conscious of the time. Uh, I think we've had uh, very nice uh, discussions surrounding uh, two very you know coming from different angles. Um, just as a last uh, comment, if not a question, it depends on the time, of course. Um, I think uh, Amiji, you mentioned. Uh, uh, there's a triple uh, satyam, rhythm, and brihat. Yes. As you're, uh, you know, saying, you, you kind of concluded with that as something that could take us to the times that we would like to see. Um, please correct me here, but uh, does uh, rhythm somewhere connect with dharma? So, uh, rhythm is, in essence, the dynamic aspect of the truth. Uh, now, that again is the problem with religion, as we call it, is that it loses, the truth loses its dynamism. So you have an aspect of the truth, but let's say what was uh, relevant in 2000 BC might not necessarily be relevant today. So you've lost the rhythm aspect of it, which, I mean, if you even uh, read uh, Sri Aurobindo's preface of the Gita, he says it's one of the very few Indian scriptures that he finds relevant even to modern times. So when we speak of rhythm, we need to understand that truths, I'm not talking about the absolute truth, but the manifested aspects of truth they have to be dynamic. They have to be relevant to the time and realm that you are looking at them. Maybe something which worked 500 years back has no relevance today, which is why the highest aspect will always be Satyam, the absolute truth. It will be Ritam, it will be dynamic, and it will also be Brihat, it will be vast, it will encompass everything. Wonderful. Actually, um, I had uh, myself uh, wanted to ask you this question, saying that today we need uh, today we would need to envision these principles in ways suited to the times. Any thoughts on these? And and you answered them. That thank you, um, Ilaji. Uh, would you like to? Uh, is that fine? I'll be towards the. Yeah. Sure. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. If you want to ask one more question, you can go ahead. We still have some. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Again, it comes to the practical aspect, uh, and there is a actually, if there's time, I can quote uh, a few words of Sri Aurobindo here from the human cycle. Uh, I see uh, there are two quotes, but I, I know. So the first is, uh, therefore, if the spiritual uh, spiritual change of which we have been speaking is to be affected, it must unite two conditions which have to be simultaneously satisfied, but are most difficult to bring together. There must be the individual and the individuals who are able to see, to develop, to recreate themselves in the image of the spirit and to communicate both their idea and its power to the mass. And there must be at the same time a mass, a society, a communal mind, or at the least, the constituents of a group body, the possibility of a group soul, which is capable of receiving and effectively assimilating, ready to follow and effectively arrive. I think there's a lot in this in this uh, quote of uh, Sri Aurobindo's, and uh, it kind of uh, revolves around uh, you know last bit of our uh, uh, you know discussions that. Uh, we we need to really uh, look into ourselves and develop a community uh, of uh, people. And uh, again, the question always comes, how do we do this? How do we affect it? Um, so on this last note of positive positivity, how do we um, bring about this? Um, we, we need to grow a community of people that, you know, are involved and I think there are ways, how do we nurture, how do we sustain such a community? Uh, Lakshmi, I mean, I would uh, again come in here and say that this has to proceed from the individual into the collective. And something that I learned again uh, from the practice of another Orbindonian was to start small, start within your circle of influence, right? And change people by the way you are. So, uh, like I said, with me, my journey has been that of inculcating equality and surrender. I try to practice it to the extent that I can and to influence those in my immediate circle. Now, the danger with a larger community, again, is of setting up another ism or another cult, which will again uh, close the doors on further evolution, right? And we will lose the rhythm aspect of that knowledge. So I think to keep this fluidity, to trust the divine, that as long as enough of us are working on ourselves, right to bring in this change this change will happen okay okay nice um Prabhiji, anything yeah i would say that since the mother has already taken control of the earth that she already works in everybody's heart and is making whatever changes needs to be made um so um we, uh, I would like to uh, ask our keynote speaker, Swamiji, Swami uh, Ji, do you have uh, words you could leave us with? Um, 
something that you could, you know, conclude the, this? Actually, the thing is that uh, there's a quotation, change yourself if you want to change the world. So we have to start this change from ourselves. And the truth is that there is also Shrivindo said, where all truths meet together. So in Shrivindo, all the truths meet together. And the and the other thing is the in this process of evolution, everything sooner or later, whatever exists in the time, it has an expiry period also. It expires. So we have not to very much <clears throat> like uh, uh, worry for anything. Whatever is falsehood, it will expire, and whatever is the truth, that will stay, that will exist. So always hope for the best, and always exist with your highest, best, sincere aspiration. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, uh, yes, we, uh, I think it's uh, come to the time where we conclude this uh, panel discussion. Thank you so much, uh, my uh, two panelists, Pravirji and Amitji. So we could just take it, you know, we can just go on discussing, but we are, you know, uh, we have the time limit. So I uh, really enjoyed this session. I hope uh, viewers too, uh, you know, found it, uh, uh, you know, scintillating and uh, encouraging and you know there are some positive points as well and things to look uh, within oneself as well uh, so i leave it here and uh, give the uh, floor to neelup ji neelup please thank you so much ma'am so moving forward to the vote of thanks i would first of all first and foremost like to thank swami brahmadev ji for gracing us with his presence his very life journey is an inspiration for us. I would also like to thank our panelists, Sri Praveerji, who emphasized upon the idea of a connected nature of our life and, and, and he connected it, uh, the nature of life with the nature and working of the universe. And he, he mentioned a very important point that uh, the very existence of quantum, quantum particles are, uh, are uh, attestation to the fact that there is a divine and omnipresence. And I would like to thank uh, Sri Amit Gujaralji uh, for emphasizing upon the difference between religion and spirituality. And uh, he said that uh, will, the willingness to accept others' truth as our own truth constitutes religion and the willingness to seek out one's own truth constitutes spirituality. And then he also mentioned two very, very important points that uh, the truth cannot be exclusive to some people. The truth is a singular entity and it is one for everyone, whether we can see it here and now or not, but we will have to seek that truth. And then the second point that the change has to be gradual and that it has to proceed from the individual to the collective. So thank you so much, sir. And uh, I would also like to thank Dr. Lakshmi Saripalliji for conducting this uh, and moderating this uh, panel discussion with such uh, lucidity and professionality. I would like to thank Dr. Sampadanand Mishraji for- Thank you everyone for joining us. We will meet for the next session very soon. Thank you. Thank you.